we can learn a lot from church history. Though global in its reach and rapid in its spread, the COVID-19 outbreak is not the first plague, to use a biblical term, it's not the first plague that the church has faced. In the early 1500s, a French monastery commissioned Matthias Grunwald to paint an altarpiece. It had a number of panels, uh, including a central one that was quite large. So that's a life-sized picture or painting of Jesus Christ. And we can see round the panel there are four people. There are two men named John and two women named Mary. So on our left, we see the apostle John comforting Jesus' mother, Mary. And on her knees, we see Mary Magdalene looking up to Jesus. And on our right, we have the figure of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, and at his feet is a lamb with blood dripping from his neck into a gold chalice, a communion cup. And remember that it was John the Baptist who pointed to Jesus beside the Jordan River saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who dies for your sins. And then we notice John's finger pointing to Jesus. And and all John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry, was all about pointing to Jesus. And behind John, written in Latin, a bit hard to see, but written in Latin are the words, he must become greater and I must become less. And that's a quote from John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 30. But then our eyes are drawn into the central figure of Jesus on the cross. And if we look closely, we see something quite unusual, something not common to cruciform art. If you look carefully, you'll see there are pox marks on the skin of Jesus. And a doctor who was familiar with such thing would identify this condition as the bubonic plague or the black death that ravaged the Middle Ages. Now, why would an artist do this to the crucified Jesus? Well, it turns out that during an outbreak of the plague, this monastery opened its doors to the sick and the dying. It became a sort of hospital before hospitals were invented. So imagine, imagine if you were sick with the plague, but well enough to attend mass. And in your illness and discomfort, you saw that picture with Jesus there having the very same sickness that you had. Imagine then you heard the good news during the Mass that Christ carried all our sin and all our sickness on the cross so that everyone who believes in Christ is given the promise of everlasting life, free from all sickness and pain, free from sin and death. Imagine if you were sitting in that Mass and you had a loved one that was on death's door. And you saw that picture of Christ suffering and heard the good news. What an encouragement. What a witness to Christ. What solace in grim times. And so this was the strategy of this 16th century monastery. A clear understanding of the work of the cross and that that be central to everything that that church did. And secondly acts of kindness by throwing open their doors to the sick and dying and caring for them as well as they could. Isn't that a great strategy? Keeping Christ and his work at the centre of church life while exploring acts of kindness to help each other and the wider the community. And this is going to be our strategy over the next 
few months. It dovetails very well into the series I was planning to preach through Ephesians. The first half of Ephesians is all about the wealth of the church, everything about what Jesus did on the cross to make us wealthy. And then the second part of Ephesians is all about the work of the church, including acts of kindness. So our strategy is keeping the work of the cross central to us as a church and exploring acts of kindness. And we're going to look at that today. So the work of the cross. When it comes to sickness, Christ's work on the cross, you can't go past Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 6. So you turn to that if you've got your Bibles with you or in the service sheet. Isaiah 53, uh, verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Notice how this passage, these two verses, uh, is bookended with references to sickness. Now, in the middle of these two verses, we see that Christ suffered for our sin. He bore our, our transgressions and our iniquities, which are different words for sin. Now, this is the rightful, central emphasis on the work of the cross. But at the beginning of verse 4, we see that Jesus also took up our infirmities. And at the end of verse 5, we see the bold declarations that because of the cross, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. And this is why when the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness, we know that along with sin, every sickness, disease and illness will be banished. We have this glorious and certain hope, a sure and steadfast certainty. There are two ways that we can express this, this uh, total freedom from sin and sickness. It happens when we die, and it will happen when Christ returns again, and we experience the kingdom in all its fullness. And so this is why that monastery could declare with, with great surety and great hope to all those that were suffering from the plague that if they look to Christ, they will be healed. Some, very few, were healed in that world uh, due to laying of hands in prayer. But everyone is, will be healed when Christ comes again. And this hope is not just a future hope. It's a real hope for us in the here and now because the kingdom of God is breaking through into this dark world. If we go back to Jesus on the cross, think of a timeline. Jesus dies on the cross and the kingdom of God is inaugurated. And then if we follow the timeline through history until we get to when Jesus returns again, the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. And we're in the in-between time. And so whenever there is a conversion, whenever there's a saving faith, the kingdom of God breaks in to the here and the now in this dark world. When there is an act of kindness in Jesus' name, the kingdom of God breaks in into this dominion of Satan's and his authority is chipped away. Whenever we gather together to praise Jesus, to lift him up in song, the kingdom of God breaks through into this place and the angels rejoice. Whenever we have a sick friend or someone we know and we lay a hand and we pray and they are healed, 
the kingdom of God, a part of that kingdom, has broken through. And so we're in this in-between time where sin and illness is a reality, but through Jesus Christ as we look to him, the power of sin and sickness is breaking. And we are in this in-between time. So how does this apply to us? this work of the cross, this coming of the fullness of the kingdom. Well, when we're faced with a pandemic that's taking people's lives, we place our confidence in Christ, who not only took up our sin, but he took up our sickness as well. And because he did, we are assured of healing. And some people are healed in this world by prayer and laying on of hands. But we will all be healed in all fullness when we meet Christ in glory or Christ comes again and sets up the kingdom of God. And so we can look at this virus, this outbreak in the eye, and with all the anxiety swirling around us, we can confidently say, my trust is in Christ who died for me. Do your worst. My confidence is in Christ who died for me. Do your worst. Now, you might be thinking, this is all very well and good, Douglas, and I believe in Christ and what he's done on the cross, but this outbreak has really knocked me around. (laughs) You know, you see it on the news, and you've had family members affected for employment or travel or whatever, and you'll say to me, there are times when I am just a bundle of anxiety, and in this you would be perfectly normal. However, God wants to use this crisis not to waste this crisis. God wants to use this crisis to build a higher trust in him and a lower a lower amount of anxiety. Christ wants to make your faith firmer and also reduce the way that you are tossed around by the fears and the anxieties that swirl around us. We can waste this crisis by being caught up in the fears around us, or we can look to Christ and ask him to use this crisis to build faith in us, to understand him better. And how do we do this? It's all very well, all very theoretical, but what are some ways that we can move away from anxiety and move away to trusting in the living God? Well, that's where these two passages that we had read come into play, Psalm 91 and then Philippians 4. So let's look at Psalm 91. And you may have noticed in those first six verses, those there was a real direct reference to pestilence and plague. So Psalm 91, from verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. And so did you notice those three direct references? In uh, verse 3, we hear the reference that God will save us from deadly pestilence. In verse 5, we will not fear the pestilence that stalks 
nor the plague that destroys. Wonderful encouragement, isn't it? And I bet up until the last week or two, if you'd read that, you would have thought that's very nice. And now as you read it, you think that's wonderful. (laughs) I can cling to these verses. These verses are a real encouragement for us. And they also give us guidance on how we can fear not the pestilence that stalks by night or the plague that destroys at midday. And it's going back to verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He who leans into God and his word, who, he who seeks God in prayer, they are the ones that need not fear because they are dwelling in the shelter of the Almighty. A couple of New Testament verses to encourage us along this way. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Submit yourselves then to God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's a promise. You draw near to God, he will draw near to you and you can dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Similar theme in 1 Peter Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So notice there's a bit of a theme going through these two verses. Submit, humble yourself before the living God. We come to him not because we've done the right thing, we've ticked the boxes, we're a good person. None of us come before God like this. We come before him by his grace, equal with everyone else, humbly. And the two promises there is that God will draw near to us and that as we cast our anxiety, he will take our cares away from us. And so as we dwell in the shelter under the wings of the almighty God, the most high, we will not fear the pestilence that stalks at night, nor the plague that destroys at midday because we are tucked under the wings of the loving God. And this dwelling in leads us into the next Bible passage from Philippians 4 that was read. And before my holiday was cut short, Judy and I were staying in Auckland with friends Ben and Sue Dykeman. Ben preached here over the summer. And this morning uh, I was supposed to be preaching in his pulpit. So that was what I was supposed to be doing about now in Green Lane. But things changed rather rapidly and He, like myself, felt this real urge to be with our own folk this weekend. Anyway, I think it might have been a dinner time. He came uh, to the table very excited because he'd found this passage, very well-known passage, but it was in the message. Uh, And he shared this over dinner. Isn't it a lovely verse? Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 in the message version. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praise Shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? I think of a of a, uh, a potter with clay. You've got this, this lump of clay and, and shaping it into a work of art, into a pot or something else. And, and here we're reminded that we can shape our anxieties into a prayer. Continuing on. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness Everything coming together for good will come and settle on you. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And for many of us, and certainly many outside the church, what's at the center of our lives? What's worry and anxiety that we can't get away from? 
And even as Christians, we can find that that displaces Christ at the center, and we need to be intentional. And one of the ways we can remove that anxiety from our center and replace it with Christ is to shape our worries into a prayer and then cast it, lay it at the feet of Jesus. What I suggest you do is that you write it down. Sometimes our anxiety and fears are just sort of swirling around and we don't name them or think about them. It's just this emotional discomfort, even panic. Write down your fears and shape it into a prayer where you hand it over to God and then have words of assurance. You can keep it so that you can pray it again. Some people like to um, like pin it to, to a cross or something like that, or some people even like to burn it very safely. And there are no children here, are there? Okay, <laughs> batches, children, not a good mix. But um, if you've got that bit of paper, and you can burn that and safely, and it can be like your prayer is going to God. But I can I encourage you to shape your worries and anxieties into prayers and offer them to God. And in all this we are learning, don't be too hard on yourself. Three steps forward and two steps back is still progress forward, isn't it? 20 steps forward and 19 steps back, that's still progress. But if we are persistent, if we cling to God's word, we lean into him in prayer, if we grasp and lay hold tight of the love of God that is offered freely today, you will find that Christ will remain at the center and your anxieties will be pushed to the side. And as we learn this, as we learn to dwell in the center of God's will and the shelter of the Most High, that gives us a wonderful creative opportunity to move from fear to think about others and how through acts of kindness and compassion and, and generosity we can help other people during this difficult time. Remember that monastery that had Christ at the center of their life even though at great risk to their personal safety, they decided to open their doors and provide a safe, well, as safe as they could, a safe place for people to get better or to die, not alone, but with someone holding their hand. Now, that was their way that they expressed act of kindness. That, that would be very impractical for us to invite sick people to come into our building. We are blessed with modern hospitals. But what are the acts of kindness that we can creatively with Christ at the centre, share with each other and other people. So here's just a few things. Simple things like checking on in on an elderly neighbour. And of course, because of the restrictions, uh, if you can visit them, that's good, but they may not want to or you may not feel comfortable, but text or call or email or even, I know this is a bit old tech, but write a note. Get a little card with a picture on it. <laughs> Drop it off. In Rotorua, uh, a friend of Judy's rang up my mother and said, if you ever need any shopping, my mum's in her early 80s, if you ever need any shopping or anything done, just let me know. Isn't that lovely? Judy, you have lovely friends. The youth at uh, Rotorua, that's our old church, the youth leaders organising the senior youth to be available to help in that way. So there's, there's ways that we can help folk. And of course, with the, with the people that are 70 or over, encouraged to stay at home, there is a need both within our church and outside the church, to be thoughtful and proactive and being kind to those folk. Let's not forget those that are in self-isolation, not only the 70-year-olds, but I know of at least one church family with uh, children who are self-isolating because of overseas travel. It's pretty tough for a couple of weeks. In the same way, ring, email, maybe drop some baking around, something like that. How can we encourage and support them? Those whose employment are suffering, I think we all know some folk whose employment is suffering for whatever reason. 
while we were in Auckland, I think it was Wednesday, our eldest son, who's an internship in a, in a business company, media company in K Road, uh, the boss invited him in and said that he's now down to four days a week instead of five days a week. Uh, this was one of a number of cuts that the business was making. So our son, his income, his, his bursary's gone down by 20%, and he has to be careful because it's an internship, he has to meet the requirements of hours. He has to do so many hours for his course, so potentially he won't graduate. Now, he's talked to his course supervisor, and I think it's in hand. But that's how it's affected him. Our daughter's fifth-year medical student at Minimal Hospital and her clinic, where she is on the ward doing a run with um, psych, the psych ward, that's been, uh, she's been asked not to go in with the rest of the fifth-year med students. So just our two children in this week have been infected. Now, because they're students, it's a little bit different, um, but still does affect them. We all know, do we not, family and friends who are taking a hit because of employment, whatever reason, how can we support them? How can we encourage them? And finally, we can pray for those who are worried about their family. Walking through Queenstown Airport yesterday, and there was a young lady on the floor, and she was about this close. I just happened to, to walk past, and she was a bit distressed talking, and she, and she said, and I've run out of money. <laughs> and it was with an accent, and I just guessed it was Dad on the phone. <laughs> and here was this uh, a European young lady who's stuck here in New Zealand and has run out of money. And, and we, we know people like that, don't we? Some of us here have our own adult children overseas, or maybe aging parents overseas. Or whatever. So, and that's a burden that some of our folk are carrying that we know, might not know. So, how can we be thoughtful? Can we, we can pray for those folk and encourage them, and look out for each other. And as we do these things and other creative ways of caring, we will find we are fulfilling God's word. We are pleasing our heavenly Father. Ephesians five, verses just verse one. You will find that this is happening in your life. You are obeying this instruction. The instruction is to be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Isn't that a lovely reminder? Each one of us is a dearly loved child whose Father in heaven cares for us dearly. In the same way as a little child will, will copy their father or their mother or grandparent, when we express acts of kindness, we are imitating our Heavenly Father who was kind to us first. So briefly, let's pull this together. Our strategy as a church in these troubled times is twofold. First, to understand more and lean into and have confidence in Christ's work on the cross. And secondly, to learn how we can express this in acts of kindness. So two final take-homes to finish. With respect to the work on the cross, I encourage you to take those three Bible readings that are on in the insert of your newsletter and keep them in your Bible. Or stick them on the fridge. And then every day, just quietly, slowly read those verses of encouragement and pray. And secondly, as you're praying, ask God, what act of kindness can I do for you today to someone that's going through a tough time. And as you do, you'll find yourself imitating your heavenly father. He'll end up with this hugest grin on his face because of what you're doing. And it's a reminder to us all that that's what we are. At the end of the day, no matter what the world throws against us, no matter what, how big or, or, or bad the virus gets or doesn't get, we are dearly loved 
by our Heavenly Father. So, church, do not fret. Cast all your cares on he who died for you and put your confidence at Christ and Christ in the centre of your life. Let's pray.